The scripture reading will come from the one chapter book of Philemon, Philemon verses 8 through 11. Philemon, beginning in verse 8, reads, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. There are in your New Testament 27 books. Four of those 27 books are just one chapter. They're very short. Sometimes they're called New Testament postcards. Over the next few Sunday evenings, we're going to be looking at those books in turn because those tend to be books that we don't spend a great amount of time thinking about, reading, and studying. And yet they are very powerful in their impact and they can change your life in some very important ways. And so this series entitled New Testament Postcards is going to begin this evening with the book of Philemon. If you haven't already opened your Bible there, it's right there tucked in between Titus and Hebrews. It's kind of like the city of Houston. Nobody comes to Houston unless they're really meaning to come to Houston. You don't go through Houston on the way to somewhere else. It's kind of out of the way. You go through Dallas on the way to everywhere, but Houston is just kind of, um, kind of by itself. Philemon's like that. You have to be going to Philemon to find it. And once you find it, there are some astounding and life-changing truths that will help us. Philemon has 25 verses, only one chapter. And so we don't even say, go to Philemon chapter 1. There's only one chapter. There are only 335 words in Philemon in the Greek language. A very short book. And Philemon is all about the art of Christian persuasion. The art of Christian persuasion. How do you persuade people to do the right thing? How do you persuade somebody when somebody has their mind set a certain way? How do you reach out to them and how do you help them to see that there's a better way that they need to change? And especially, especially if you're one in authority, maybe you're an elder or maybe you're a parent or maybe you're an employer and you have some authority over somebody and you want them to do the right thing. It would be easy just to take your authority and say, you have to do the right thing. I command you as your parent, as an elder, I command you to do the right thing. But Philemon is about the art of Christian persuasion. It's much better if we can persuade people who are not doing the right thing to do the right thing because they want to. Isn't that true, parents? Isn't it much better for our kids to obey and do what's right because it's what they want to do than rather just they're doing what we want them to? If it comes down to it, all right, we're going to use our authority as parents and our kids are going to obey because that's what we want them to do. That it's a much better thing for us to encourage and coach and teach and persuade our kids so that they want to do the right thing out of their own hearts. And that's what Philemon is all about. 
It's about persuading someone to do the right thing, not because he's been commanded, but because he truly and sincerely wants to do what's right. 25 verses in Philemon. And what I want us to do is just look at this book in three parts this evening. I want us, first of all, as we look at the book of Philemon, to begin with the first seven verses. And I want us to notice that Philemon begins with a prayer, a prayer for Philemon. The Apostle Paul is writing this short letter to this man named Philemon. And I want you to know tonight, Philemon was a good man. It's almost like Paul can't say enough good about him. And so he he begins the letter by saying, it's me, Paul, and Titus is with me. And we're writing this letter to you, Philemon. And then he mentions a couple of other individuals in verse 2, Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And some people think those are maybe Philemon's wife and maybe a child of Philemon's. And then he greets in verse 2, the church that is in your house. So when you look at Philemon, one of the first things we notice is that he is a beloved fellow laborer, fellow soldier. And we also notice that there's a church that meets in Philemon's house. So he's evidently a man of some wealth, of some import. And as Paul goes on and prays and talks about Philemon, he says in verse, three, in verse 4, I thank God every time I remember you. And specifically, he mentions in verse 5 that Philemon is a man who has faith in the Lord Jesus. I have a question for you. If somebody were to sit down and pray for you and to give thanks for you, would they think of you as someone who very obviously has faith in the Lord Jesus? Would they think of you as someone who is so devoted to following Jesus that it's just obvious that this is what you're all about? That you are a devoted servant and follower and disciple of Jesus Christ and you show that by the way that you live. Well, that's what Paul thought about when he thought about Philemon. And not only that, but when you look at verse 5, he also thanks God that Philemon loves the church. And I want you to notice that faith and love go together and Christ and his church go together. Do you see that in verse 5? Faith and love and Christ and his church and all of those things intermingle and intertwine so that when I truly love Jesus, when I truly have faith in him, I'm also going to be a devoted member and servant and worker with God's people. It's a consistent New Testament teaching to love Christ also means I love my brethren. And so when Paul thinks about Philemon, this is a good man. But then I want you to notice this. Verse 6 is kind of a key verse in Philemon. Verse 6 is the content of what Paul is asking for. So Paul sits down to pray for Philemon and he thanks God that he remembers uh, Philemon and his co-workers and he remembers the church that meets in Philemon's house and he remembers that Philemon has love and faith for Jesus and he loves the church. Paul remembers all those things and then in verse 6 he starts to petition God for some things. He's saying to Philemon, I'm praying for you. And here's what I'm praying for you. Three ingredients specifically. By the way, let's just read the verse together. My translation is the New King James, and here's what it says. I'm praying that the sharing of your faith may become effective, Philemon, by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? 
we see that phrase sharing of faith and the Greek word is koinonia. It's that word for fellowship or communion. The communion of your faith, the fellowship of your faith. And we see that phrase sharing of your faith that we think of in 21st century America. We think of evangelism. And maybe that's part of what Paul means. That Philemon is not only hosting the church in his house, and he's not only a fellow worker and laborer in the Lord, and not only does he love the church, but Philemon is trying to reach out to others. Certainly that would have been characteristic. But given what follows in verses 7 through 25, I rather believe that what Paul is praying for is this. Number one, he's praying that Philemon is going to keep working together with his brethren. He already does that. But you know as well as I do, if you've lived in, in the church for any length of time, if you try to get along with brethren, we don't always see eye to eye about things, do we? And it's kind of interesting that when you think about it, we always need to realize that we, we can cooperate together and we can work together and we can love each other even when we sometimes disagree on things that are not matters of doctrine. A willingness to work together. Philemon, I'm praying that you might share your faith, that, that, that with your brethren there's this willingness to cooperate with one another. So that, for the purpose that, as you look at the verse in verse 6, so that every good thing can be acknowledged. Your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you. What's the good thing in Philemon? What's the good thing in Philemon's brethren? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've got it in their hearts. They've got it in their minds. And what Paul is praying is that when Philemon cooperates with his brethren, that they're going to see the good that the gospel can do. The gospel can do amazing things in your life and in the life of the body of Christ if we'll just live together and work together and love each other the way that Jesus desires. And then the third component of this prayer, so that, it says in verse 6, that every, th every good thing which is in you may be found in Christ Jesus. He's the goal. That is to say, if you want to sum up verse 6, when God's people determine that they're going to cooperate together according to the gospel, we grow up together in Christ's likeness. When we overcome differences to the glory of God, when we deal with difficult circumstances to the glory of God, when we let the gospel change us and direct us and guide us through difficult times, it shows something of Jesus Christ in us and it helps us to mature and to grow. And Paul is praying this for Philemon. He's saying, Philemon, you're a good man. You're doing so many good things. You're working really well with God's people. I'm praying for you that you're going to keep growing up with God's people. And I got a difficult situation for you that's coming your way. Something really difficult that's coming your direction. So verse 7, Paul says, we have great joy and consolation in your love, Philemon, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Paul hears about and he remembers the kind of man Philemon is and he says, I've got every confidence that what I'm praying for you is going to be realized. I've got every confidence that you want to do the right thing. And that brings us to verses 8 and following, the plea or the petition for Onesimus. Now we get to the real reason why Paul has written this book. He's given thanks for Philemon, and he's talked about what a good man Philemon is. Philemon is evidently, as we've said, well-to-do because the church meets in his house, but Philemon is also 
a slave owner. There was slavery in first century, the, the, that part of the world, first century Roman Empire. And Philemon owned slaves. Yes, he was a Christian. Yes, he was a man who was devoted to serving Jesus Christ and loving his brethren, but he also owned slaves. And one of Philemon's slaves went by the name Onesimus. It's there in verse 10 if you're looking to spell it. Onesimus, we kind of have to read between the lines here to figure out what happened, but what happened was this. Onesimus was maybe not all that great of a servant for Philemon in the first place. And there was some kind of falling out, there was some kind of crisis, and Onesimus ran away from Philemon. By the way, that would have brought a capital punishment upon Onesimus. If they caught Onesimus and if they were able to prosecute him, he would have been put to death for running away as a slave. But Onesimus, this renegade slave who had run away, somehow in the course of things, found his way all the way from Colossae, where Philemon lived, all the way over to Rome. And while Onesimus was in Rome, he met the Apostle Paul. And he studied the gospel with the Apostle Paul. And Onesimus was baptized. He made the decision that he wanted to be a follower of Jesus Christ as well. And what Paul is writing Philemon about is that he is sending Onesimus back with this letter, with the book of Philemon, and he wants Philemon to accept Onesimus as his brother in Christ. That's what Philemon, the letter, is all about. You remember a minute ago I said Philemon's about the art of Christian persuasion? It's so much better, rather than commanding people to do the right thing and saying, you must act this way, you must do this, rather than commanding, and throwing your weight around, it's much better when we can persuade people tactfully, when we can use tact and love and concern for both parties and help people to want to do the right thing. And that's exactly what the apostle does with Philemon here. What he does in verses 8 through 16 is he issues five strong appeals to Philemon. Philemon, your runaway slave is now a Christian. He's coming back to you, and I want you to accept him, and I want you to believe that he's your brother, and I want you to treat him that way, not because I'm commanding you to, but because you want to from your own heart. And let me reason with you for a minute, Philemon, Paul would say, and watch the appeals that Paul makes. Look at verses 7 and 8. The first appeal that Paul makes to Philemon is based on his gracious character. Philemon is a generous man. He loves Jesus Christ. He loves his brethren in the Lord. And the Apostle Paul says, therefore, in verse 8, he's just gotten done in the first seven verses talking about what a great guy Philemon is. And so in verse 8, it says, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, I'm an apostle after all. I'm Paul. I can command you to do the right thing but rather I'm appealing based on the kind of character I know you have accordingly, some translations say. When people have good character, isn't it so much easier to work with them? One of the reasons why God desires that there be a good character in us, that we have the desire from our hearts to do the right thing, God desires that because it's Christ-like and because the spirit of cooperation is so much easier 
when people are willing out of their own character, out of their own generous nature, I want to help, I want to serve, I want to work with, I want to exalt Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I know that about you, Philemon. And I'm appealing to you on that basis. I know you want to serve the Lord because that's the kind of man you are. There's a second appeal, though. Paul doesn't just stop there. He says in verses 8 and 9, I'm going to appeal to you on, your ba- on the basis of your love for me, your Christian love. Paul had taught Philemon the gospel just like he had taught Onesimus the slave the gospel. And both Philemon and Onesimus loved Paul. They knew Paul as a preacher. They knew him as a man of God. And they loved him dearly. And so in verse 9, Paul says, Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged. It's kind of a term of endearment almost. Paul's saying, I'm an old man now, Philemon. I don't have as many years left in me as I used to. I'm Paul the aged. And as an older man, can I appeal to you? Because you love me. And because you want to do the right thing, can I appeal to you to do what I'm asking? Being such a one as Paul the aged and now a prisoner also of Christ Jesus. Do you love me, Philemon? Do you care about me? Am I, am I somebody who matters to you? If so, I'm appealing to you to think about what I'm saying here. There's a third appeal that Paul makes. The change that the gospel produces. You see, when the gospel gets into your heart, when the gospel gets into your life, and you let it change your thinking, it changes your life, and it changes your identity. It changes your identity. What happens when somebody becomes a Christian is we've got all these different identities that we attach to ourselves. It's always been this way, and we've got all these different ways that we name ourselves, I am this, and I am that, and we might, you know, we might designate ourselves by a lot of different things. Philemon and Onesimus, I am a slave owner, I am a slave, Onesimus might say. But when you become a Christian, what happens is the fact that I belong to Jesus, the fact that I'm a Christian, that now becomes, or is supposed to become, the very core, the very bottom layer of our identity. Everything else is on top of that. That's the way it works. And so what Paul is doing is he's appealing to Philemon and he's saying, look, I know Onesimus is your slave, Philemon, but I want you to understand he became a Christian and now that takes supremacy, that takes priority over the fact that he's your slave. It becomes the very core and basis of his identity. And so think about how Paul writes in verse 10, I appeal to you for my son... He's my son in the gospel because I taught him the gospel and he obeyed. He's my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. And then in verse 16, he's no longer a slave, Philemon verse 16, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Our country is struggling right now with questions of identity. Who am I? What's significant about me? What's important about me? And the Bible over and over and over keeps pointing back to the fact that when you become a Christian, you become a brother. You become a son to somebody in the gospel. You become somebody's family. And that's the most important thing about us. And everything else that we got to work through as Christians is above that. Everything else that we have to work through as Christians is 
to a degree less important than that fact. And that's the basis of Philemon's appeal. That's the basis of Paul's appeal to Philemon, that this gospel has changed Onesimus, and now that's what's important about him more than anything else. A fourth appeal that Paul makes. Paul says in verses 11 through 14 this, Philemon, I want you to understand that Onesimus, the slave, he's been with me here in Rome, and he's really useful to me. Because Paul was under house arrest. He was in prison. And maybe Onesimus, maybe he could run and get food. Or maybe he could run errands. Or maybe he could take letters to to people who needed to carry them to far places. Onesimus was really handy. But Paul says, I didn't want to keep Onesimus with me and take advantage of you, Philemon. Because in the system in which they lived, Onesimus was still Philemon's property. And Paul says, if you're going to send Onesimus back to me, I want it to be because that's what you wanted to do. I'm not taking advantage of you in this matter. If you're going to help me, and if Onesimus is going to help me, I don't want to be defrauding anybody in all of this. And I imagine that must have been a really difficult conversation for Paul and Onesimus to have because there they are in Rome Onesimus the runaway slave and Paul giving this letter to Onesimus and saying listen you need to go back to Philemon you need to go back to your master who you've wronged you need to go back to this guy and you need to carry this letter and it's got some appeals for him and I know he's a good man and he's a Christian and he's your brother in Christ and you're going to have to make amends Onesimus because you've wronged him in some ways imagine what must have gone through Onesimus's mind as he carried that letter all the way back from Rome to Colossae. This was a tough thing. And Paul appeals to Philemon and he says, look, I believe in you and I know that the service that you render is going to be out of your own free will. I'm not going to compel it from you. And then a fifth petition, a fifth strong appeal. Maybe it's the providence of God that did all this, Paul says. Look at verse 15 of Philemon. For perhaps Onesimus departed for a while for this purpose, that you, Philemon, might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, Paul says, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul looks at the whole situation, Onesimus, the runaway slave who became a Christian, and he says, I don't know, but this looks an awful lot like the providence of God to me. And I'm fascinated, by the way, when I think about God's providence, that even an inspired apostle doesn't know for sure in the moment whether this really is the providence of God. That's kind of the way providence is. You look at something and you say, that looks awful lot like something that God might be involved in. That looks an awful lot like something that God might have orchestrated or ordained. Not sure, perhaps... But it looks very, very much like something that God would have done. And certainly, this looks an awful lot like what God would have done. And so Paul's appeal is, maybe this is what God was intending all along. That through this wrong that Onesimus has done, that now he has a child, Onesimus, and you have a brother, Onesimus. And oh, by the way, you remember that prayer back in verse 6 that we talked about at length? 
That prayer is, Philemon, that you cooperate with your brethren, including Onesimus now, who's your brother. And you're going to have to work through some really hard things with Onesimus, and so is everybody else in the church. And you're going to have to have some difficult conversations. But when you do that, you're going to see the good that the gospel can do. And in the process of doing that, you're going to grow up to be more like Jesus. And that's how Paul appeals to Philemon. I believe that those of us who preach the gospel, I believe that those of us who teach, those of us who are parents, definitely, that we could stand to study the book of Philemon more repeatedly than we do, more frequently than we do. We need to study this book. And the reason why is because it's so much easier as a parent, for example, to just say, this is my way, this is the way it's going to be done, and you're going to obey me, no questions asked. It's one thing to say that as a parent, and sometimes you've got to say that as a parent. But it's another thing altogether to appeal to our children and help them to want to do the right thing because of things like their character and their love for others and the change that the gospel hopefully is producing in them and the voluntary sacrifice and service that God wants them to give. He doesn't want them to be robots that are commanded to do just the right things all the time that don't have any feeling or emotion or will involved. He wants them to give out of their own free will and to realize all of us, that God's providence surrounds us and that God is involved in our lives and that sometimes we got to look at strange things that happen and just say, maybe this is something that God is doing because I understand his will and I want to be faithful to his word. We ought to think about how we try to persuade people to do what's right. Elders, same thing. It's part of what it means to be a Christian. Tact. Tact is truth spoken in love, Ephesians 4, verse 15. Or somebody said it this way. I thought it was humorous. Tact is like a girdle. It takes uncomfortable truth and makes it more attractive. That's what a girdle does. Sometimes we all need tact in the way that we address others. Number three, as you continue in this book of Philemon... There is, in verses 17 through 25, a picture of the gospel itself. It's amazing what Paul does. And there are four things that I want you to think of, and they're all pictures of how the gospel changes us and works in our lives. The first picture is this, in verse 17. Reconciliation and acceptance. In verse 17, if you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. You see that word receive? It's back in verse 15 as well. It's the key word of the book. Receive Onesimus. Receive Onesimus as you would me. The word receive means to welcome as a friend. To welcome as a, as a beloved worker and co-worker. It means that you fling the door wide open and you say, you have a home here, you are welcome here. That's what the word receive means. And so Philemon, the slave owner, when his runaway slave comes home, is, a, is appealed to to receive someone who is his enemy to receive him as a brother now. You know what the gospel does? It turns enemies into brothers. It always has. Second picture of the gospel. 
verses 18 and 19, Paul says this. You know, there are probably some things that Onesimus did. And Onesimus may well have told Paul about these things. As this runaway slave was on his way out the door, he's probably thinking, I'm going to need some money for the journey. Where's he going to find money? Maybe his master's pocketbook. Maybe Onesimus went around bad-mouthing Philemon and the kind of master he was. Maybe Onesimus, just by labor lost, has cost Philemon some money. And Paul says this, whatever Onesimus owes you, put it on my account. When I come, Philemon, I will repay. You know what Jesus did for us? When he went to the cross... He was saying, whatever's on your account, whatever you owe, the debt you've incurred because of sin, put it on my account. The gospel forces us to think about what Jesus has done for us. It's grace. Grace is loving somebody without diminishing the penalty, the debt that's owed. And that's why the cross had to happen. Because God loved us, but he could not just throw away the penalty. Somebody had to pay. The payment of debts put it on my account. And maybe there's something for those of us who are Christians to think about in the way that we treat other people. Sometimes the best thing we can do to diffuse a volatile situation is to say, you know what? I see you two are at odds. I'll tell you what, I'll pay this debt. So that you two can cooperate, so that you two can get along, I'll pay this debt. Christ-like to do that. Picture of the gospel number three. Paul expects that Philemon, because he knows Philemon so well, is going to be such a good man, that he says this. He says, I know, Philemon, that you're going to do what I ask. I know that you're going to do even more than I ask. If you're trying to live your life as a Christian and you're asking the question constantly, what's the minimum? What's the bare minimum that I have to do to be a Christian? How much do I have to do? I mean, what's the minimum effort I have to give so that I can serve God and I can make sure that I can go to heaven one day? You're asking the wrong question. Because what the gospel does is what it did to Philemon. The gospel takes us and it grips our heart and it reminds us of all that Jesus has done for us. And love never stops to ask the question, as we love Jesus and as we love Jesus' people, love never stops to ask the question, okay, well, haven't I done enough now? Philemon, I know you'll do more than I ask, because that's what the gospel does to people. And then finally, verses 23 through 25, in this short letter, there are name after name after name found of different co-workers People like Epaphras and Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, all these people that work with Paul, all these people that know Philemon, and they're all greeting one another. The gospel brings us into a family so that we can serve God together. It's a beautiful thing. And when you stop and think about what God is telling us in the book of Philemon, he's saying this. Even an ugly institution like slavery. I'm glad slavery is no more in our country. 
the way God dealt with it was by bringing gospel principles into that institution. That's how he dealt with it. Bringing principles of the gospel. Think about how awkward it must have been for a slave owner to have a slave and both of them to have been brothers in Christ. How does that work? Bring Christian principles into this institution and it undermines the institution itself because if the institution is immoral, it will be undermined when the gospel and the leavening influence of God's commandments and God's desires and God's will, when that leavening influence gets into it. And the thing is, even though we don't have slavery today, we still mistreat each other and we still have habits in our own lives by which we abuse and are unkind to others. And the same gospel that would undermine a slave-master relationship will also undermine the rough edges in your life and in mine as we serve God together. Cooperate with each other, love each other, and love the Lord most of all. Incidentally, in 25 verses, you know the most frequently mentioned person? It's Jesus. He is mentioned no less than 11 times in 25 verses. It's all about Christ, and it's all about treating people the way Jesus would treat them. Thank you for listening as we talk about our first postcard this evening. Maybe you need to obey the gospel tonight. You believe that Jesus is God's son. You want to confess him, repent of your sins, and be immersed in water. When we are baptized, we become Christians, not before. If you're ready to make that commitment this evening, or if you need to respond and ask for prayers, won't you come forward while together we stand and while we sing?